RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The New Orleans Pelicans, well, they fell short of expectations down in the bubble and into a lot of ways kind of fell short of expectations, maybe unfair expectations that we had for this year's team. They had Zion Williamson, the new face of the franchise that they took number one overall out of Duke, but he had injury issues and they limited his time. They brought in a core from Los Angeles, the Lakers. Uh, the trio of Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Josh Hart, and they all performed extremely well, even with Lonzo still having some trouble down there in the bubble. But this is a young team, and maybe we shouldn't have you know, been so high on them, but now this is a young core that has some decisions to make with impending free agents, with who they're going to go after, what they're going to do in the draft. Draft lotteries later this week, they're going to be in the mix. And who is going to lead them as the franchise David Griffin, the uh, vice president of basketball operations, made the decision to part ways with Alvin Gentry after five seasons to help break it all down about all things Pelicans is the best individual in the business to talk New Orleans Pelicans. The editor of the Bird Rights, our good friend, the one and only Ali Cassell, joins us here on the Rap Game Podcast. Ali, good morning to you, brother. Uh, a heck of a weekend. Big news weekend with Alvin Gentry being let go. Let's start there. Not necessarily a surprise for anyone that really covers the team, right? Uh, not at all. Look, <clears throat> we had heard actually throughout the season that Alvin Gentry was likely uh, not going to see another season with the Pelicans. And it, it stems back to, honestly, the way they began the season. They started off 1-7 one in, one in right out of the gates, losing a couple of disappointing games. I know that the front office, David Griffin, were not happy. Uh, and it wasn't particularly just right at Alvin, but just with the performances. And so they, they were evaluating him. Just as they were in the players all season. This was supposed to be an evaluate, an evaluatory type of season, as you mentioned at the start of the show, with all these new faces. This was not going to be playoffs or bust. But that being said, you still had to perform well enough. And so that then that one and seven start transformed and snowballed into a six and twenty two start. And there was some talk behind the scenes that Alvin could potentially lose his job at some point during right there in the middle of the season, right there during that dismal stretch of that 13-game losing streak, but it didn't happen. They regrouped, and that's probably where, as you're mentioning, the expectations started to grow, right? From December 18th and on, everybody's talking about, look, top 10 offense, top 10 defense. I think they were 22-14, and 14, even though after this 2-6 and six bubble play, it really seems like a long time ago, but they were playing better. And so people had expectations and hopes of at least making a little bit of noise in Orlando, right? They were going to be fully healthy. Zion was being Zion. You know, in 20 games, he looked like no other rookie that we've seen in at least the last 20 years since LeBron James. Of course, the rest of the team was playing well. Lonzo Ball was, you know, last five games, 28-8. Brandon Ingram was playing largely an all-star level all year. Drew Holiday was playing his best ball of the year. And so with J.J. Redick coming back from injury, you just felt really good. But then, of course, they flopped, right? They they they, they flopped badly, I feel like, in, in the bubble. They started off with that game against the Jazz in the opener. They they couldn't close that one out after having a 16-point win. I just feel like from that point forward, things just really fell off a cliff, and, and they start showing up in their effort uh, levels. And that, that was the scariest thing. We had not seen them play that poorly and so unmotivated all season, even during that 13-game losing streak. So 
I think with all of that coming to a head and just basically bowing out, unfortunately, in Orlando, this, this really left David Griffin with no choice, and the writing was on the wall. And it's not going to end just with Alvin Gentry getting dismissed. I think there's going to be some roster changes as well. We'll get to those roster changes, Ali, in a minute. I, I want to talk about Gentry because over the weekend a lot of people were like, yeah, it came to his defense, and I, we kept hearing, you know, he's a good man, uh, and he's easy to deal with with the media, and he had to deal with a lot of circumstances and a lot of adversary as the Pelicans head coach, and I, I don't disagree with any of that, but even good people can be bad at their job, and in his entire career, he's been right above, uh, around an average coach. I think he's a great Assistant coach, I think he's a great guy to have on the bench. I think that's where he really shines as a coach. And the other thing that I think that he needs to be successful, he needs to have a veteran team. And I go back to that team a couple years ago that defeated the Portland Trailblazers in the playoffs. And they actually were able to regroup, got better with Boogie Cousins injured. And Rondo was there. And look, this is a guy who learned how to be an alpha dog in Boston where he would bark at Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, which is, look, that's that, that says everything that I need to know about you if you're willing to get into the grill of those guys. And he did. And he was the glue of those Boston teams during that stretch where they won an NBA championship. And he took over and he became playoff Rondo and everything like that. I think Gentry, just his style of play and what he wants to do, I think he just likes having a veteran team. Like, if this team was filled with vets and not having such a young core, I think Alvin would be able to maneuver that better than he did with the younger players. There's no doubt, I think, if you give Alvin a good group of veterans that he's going to get the most out of that group than any other type of group. And, you know, you you can just look over the course of his career, like you've mentioned. He did his best when he was with the Phoenix Suns, and they had a really great season 10 years ago to where they should have gotten into the finals, but but they didn't make it quite there yet. But still, David Griffin referred to that as being one of the best coaching jobs he's ever seen. And why is that? Because Alvin had those young, or excuse me, those experiences that Steve Nash, Grant Hill, you name it, Amari Stoudemire, and, and other good role players, but who knew their roles and, and really didn't need to be motivated uh, taught how to play the game. They, they already had all that. So Alvin was just there doing the X's and O's, and he is he's one of the greatest strategists on offense I think we've seen in our lifetime. And there's, it's not, um, there's no surprise why he has been highly regarded as an assistant coach on the sidelines for Doc Rivers, uh, Steve Kerr, and why their offense has shined. Right? They were both top five, both for the Warriors and the Clippers, when Alvin was there during his time as that assistant. So Alvin's a great mind, but Here's the problem with him. It's not that he doesn't understand basketball or that he can't uh, basically teach young guys. Because let's face it, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, a lot of guys here in New Orleans have, have developed well under him. The problem is, is, is as a team, they have too much freedom, I feel like. So that lends to basically these players not really getting the discipline they need, not earning their roles, et cetera. So it, the, the mistakes will continue. There's a problem with execution closing out games, defensively being in position, locking down. All these issues that we've kind of seen over these last five years is hard for a coach who allows for so much freedom in the system. And I think that's the problem. Alvin's personality 
tends to basically not being that guy that I'm going to ride your butt, you know, the whole time I'm around you for the most time. He'd rather be your friend because that's who he is. That's how he communicates. That ha- that's how he lives his life. And for us in the media, we loved it because we got to learn so much about the team. He, he told us so many stories. But I don't think that works in the setting of a professional basketball team as well. Unless, like I said, you have veterans, people that know how to do what they should be doing and therefore not needing that extra motivation or guidance and stuff. So that, unfortunately, I think is what boiled down to And Even David Griffin in his media call says we became kind of – our habits weren't good enough, he said flatly. And and I think that's what comes with having a coach like Alvin. J.J. Redick in training camp said he had never played in a, a system as free as Alvin's. And that's saying a lot, considering how you know, the NBA has really sped up. And he's played for some good open systems, you know, 13 years, making the playoffs every year. But he had never experienced something like Alvin. So, like I said, that, that, that's a negative. When you're bringing in these young guys who are still learning the game, how to bring 110% effort to each game. So it just didn't work. So I think it's just it's understandable completely why this team needs to go in a new direction. Let's talk about that direction. And, look, the, the usual suspects have been thrown up and thrown up fairly quickly on who could be a possible replacement for Alvin Gentry in New Orleans. And <clears throat> Jason Kidd's name has been mentioned and obviously the other one is Mark Jackson. Those are the two bigger names, the two most recognizable names, I guess, uh, that have been attached to the job. And, and here's what I'll say about that, Ollie. Mark Jackson is, you hire him, you're going to get toughness. No doubt about it. You're going to get intensity. He coaches the way that he played. Make no mistake about that. And I'm not saying that the Pelicans couldn't use a little toughness, a little intensity. But his players also get to the point very quickly where they tune him out. And you saw it in Golden State. And when they made a coaching change, they went from a playoff team to a dynasty by making a coaching change. And that that's why I would be hesitant with Mark Jackson. I think there's a reason why he doesn't have a job and mm-hmm. hasn't, hasn't got one. And Jason Kidd, look, he helped Giannis develop his ball handling in particular, right? Because he made sure to have the ball in Giannis's hand when he was the coach of the Bucks. But once again, Giannis shot up after a different coaching change and Kid was not able to develop the rest of the pe- uh, the rest of the pieces here. Let's start there. Those two the two biggest names. Are you pro or against them being really strong candidates for the Pelicans job? I'm really against the both of those, and none bigger than Mark Jackson and, um, um, of course, uh, Jason Kidd. <laughs> Sorry. These two guys, while they were known as great players or very cerebral players, and they've shown some very, a lot of positives in their coaching, overall, I feel like they've been net negatives, and you've mentioned a lot of reasons why already. But look, here, here's another thing that troubles me with both of them is the fact that they have somewhat shady past. And what I mean by that is they're not the type of human being, I think, that the New Orleans Pelicans, especially David Griffin, are going to target. There you go. Yeah, Jason Kidd has a history, Raymond, of honesty. Every time he's left somewhere, he's left basically a burning building. It happened when he was a player. He would cause rifts. He he, he would cause biases, uncomfortable situations, whether between players or coaches. And that largely followed him into the coaching ranks, right? I'll never forget when he basically tried to – you know, basically throw a coup when he was with the uh, Brooklyn Nets 
and he tried to also become the general manager when he was the coach. It didn't work, and then suddenly he switched gears and jumped over the Milwaukee Bucks, who had a coach at the time, Larry Drew, but he undermined him when negotiations did some draft talk while Larry Drew was still the coach. So there's all sorts of these examples, with honestly with both of them, that just troubled me at the core. But, you know, I don't think we need to focus on them too much. They're these early favorites. And if you look back to when the Pelicans and Del Bant hired Alvin Gentry, his name wasn't the first one amongst the first five or six we've heard. So this list that we are given now immediately upon Alvin Gentry's departure here in New Orleans, I think is going to look vastly different. This is just people making kind of those power plays and their agents speaking up, trying to get their, you know, their, their clients back in the talk of things. And I don't think it's a mistake that Mark Jackson has not been able to get a job for seven years. And there's so much um, controversy that continues to follow Jason Kidd to where I think he'll have a difficult time of, of coaching, head coaching in the NBA again. So, no, I, I'm not too worried, Raymond. Those two guys I cannot foresee for the life of me becoming the next head coach of the Pelicans simply because David Griffin is in that front office. Another name that's been thrown out there is apparently people are interested in Ty Lue again. And he's going to be connected to this job because of his relationship with David Griffin and their time spent in the Cleveland Cavaliers organization. Here's here's my thought, and I give credit to my producer, uh, the the producer extraordinaire, Louis Prejean, <laughs> where he said on the air with me here at the station is, Ty Lue makes a great fit for the Brooklyn Nets because Ty Lue knows how to coach stars, and Ty Lue is comfortable coaching vets and that's his strength and that's what he was able to do very well in Cleveland and when he had to deal with younger players he failed miserably that's where I think would be a better fit I actually agree with Lewis on this that Ty Lue would be a better fit for someone like Brooklyn where you have Kyrie he's already coached Kyrie in Cleveland Kevin Durant he know how to coach Kevin Durant he knew how to coach LeBron James so I think Ty Lue's more of a star guy I know people are going to connect him to New Orleans because of the connection that he and Griff share with Cleveland, but I don't see Ty Lue as a really strong candidate either. What about you, Ollie? I think he does have a much better chance than Jackson or Kidd, and it's more than just, honestly, David Griffin's connection to him, right? There, I have heard so many good things about Ty Lue, both as a player and as a coach. He has seen and experienced so much, and, and he's the type who learns from all those experiences remembers them, learns from them, and then is able to translate, verbalize things to younger players. That's why Doc Rivers has tried to have him on his bench as much as possible, right? He started off in Boston, then David Griffin grabbed him, whisked him away, gave him an untold, un- obscene amount of money for an assistant coach at the time to stick him underneath David Blatt. And, of course, that turned into a nice five-year deal once they got rid of Blatt. But then as soon as his uh, tenure ended in Cleveland – Lou found him back under, uh, underneath Doc Rivers again. I have heard nothing but, like I said, positive about him. And you're right. The main thing with him is that he has been around the greats. You know, he knows MJ, Kobe, and, of course, LeBron. So he knows what it takes to coach these guys, how to get them to play with other players, et cetera. But, and that's not a bad thing, right? Let's not eliminate this as some kind of negative. Because if Zion grows up to be the player that we all think he will, then you're going to want a coach who will never be afraid to tell him or his players, or, or just basically make harmony in that locker room. But I just think that Tyron Liu actually possesses a little bit more than we're giving credit for, and, and that's honestly a really good basketball mind, that he can run any type of players, not just stars. And there's a reason why some of the best coaches um, and players have always talked so highly. I mean, 
you, you've got to understand that this guy, when he faced those anxiety issues in Cleveland, could have really just walked away. Um, but, but if people don't know, his mother and grandmother were having, facing battles with cancer. That was the reason for anxiety. It wasn't, had nothing to do with, you know, basketball pressures, LeBron, you name it, for the job. He dealt with something personal, but he was able to overcome that really quickly, get back to the team, and look, winning one championship and getting the finals two years in a row, and I know you've got LeBron, but his final season, that was a bad Cavaliers team. Oh. So I think he's done a great job. Yeah. So I'm not going to overlook him just because he's had LeBron, right, the three years he's been a head coach. But I do agree with you. I would like to see more player development, proven player development from the Pelicans' next head coach, and I'm not sure Ty Lue exactly has that. Is he going to be the most uh, wanted, quote-unquote, free agent when it comes to coaches for all these teams that are going to be looking for new coaches? Yeah, Raymond, it's got to be. And you're right. I think Brooklyn does fit him to a T. You know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving will listen to him immediately, especially Irving. Uh, he, he's got familiarity with him. But, yeah, I think that is the better role. And I, I'll be shocked if he doesn't end up in Brooklyn. But I'm not going to write off New Orleans because, like I said, David Griffin, if he's really got his eye set on him and thinks he can be the guy that you want to have here long term when Zion is taking the league by storm, it's going to be hard to argue with him on that uh, fact alone. Let's talk about some of the other names that have been floated out there, and let's talk about people that have actual head coaching experience. We'll get to the um, non-head uh, coaches, the assistants that have been rumored and or names are being thrown out there, including one that I'm really hoping that the Pels take a strong look at and, and hopefully can hire and make some history there. We'll get to that. But let's talk about the people that actually uh, – other candidates that are out there that have uh, some head coaching experience, even if it's limited, regardless of what level – that are being mentioned out there for the job, Ollie? Sure. Uh, I think the first one we've got to start with is I think who's one of the favorites and probably my favorite is Kenny Atkinson. He was a uh, longtime assistant in the league under a lot of good, in a lot of good places, known for his development, and he ended up in Brooklyn, to where he took a team that was not expected to do anything, wound up in the playoffs with a 42-40 and 40 record, and he made D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, one of the most talked-about teams in the East, despite the fact that they were, you know, the eighth seed. So he is wonderful with player development. He is he has learned a lot with the X's and O's from what I've read. But this is a guy who's determined, who can make both sides of the ball be efficient and good. And let's face it, here in Alvin Gentry's tenure, that was always the biggest disappointment. The defense never lived up to the billing to where it would have allowed for the Pelicans to reach any kind of sustained success. And I feel like you've got to be good on both sides of the ball in this league. Uh, unless you're like far and away the number one offensive team, kind of like the Dan Tony team, some is in the past. If you're so overwhelmingly good on one side, then it's okay to not be as good on the other. But that's usually not the case. And so Atkinson fits that to a T. He with uh, the Nets had, had top ten, top fifteen. I'm not sure if it was top ten, but top fifteen on both sides of the ball. So he knows how you know how to coach up offense and defense. So he's my favorite, but yeah, there there are a few others that you can consider. Um, I'm not exactly sure who you think of. Maybe David Yorger or David Fisdale are a couple other names that could be considered by the Pelicans. They both have had success, you know, Fisdale and Yorger, incidentally, with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, I'm not sure, though, because the fact that David Griffin doesn't know them, that might be kind of a problem there, but we'll find out. But there are so many names. Um, who else are you thinking of here, Raymond? you want to discuss that have head coaching experience well i mean i think that those come out fizdale's is a name that's been that's been thrown out there uh, obviously and 
And and the the man that you mentioned, I, I think a lot of people are very high on on him as 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 well because of the experience that he's had and that development that he was able to have. That that's the other big thing there. He was able to have with Brooklyn, and, and look, Brooklyn's a mess. So uh, you know the fa- the fact that they decided to part ways with him is just it's just a shame, and it happens all the time in the NBA. Poor decisions. But let's talk about some of these assistants. And David Vander uh, Vanterpool has been thrown out there. He's currently an assistant for for the Timberwolves, longtime assistant there in Portland. Uh, he's been mentioned. Um, uh, Steven Silas, uh, longtime, uh, the son of longtime head coach Paul. He's a current assistant in Dallas. He was also in Charlotte before then. Um, that's another name out there. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse, who's a head coach, but at Vanderbilt. And, but he did, was the G League coach of the year. So he does have some experience on that level. We already mentioned Fisdale. And of course, the person that I love and I'm really kind of campaigning for is, is Becky Hammond, assistant coach for the Spurs since 2014. Won the summer league title in 2015 as a head coach. Even interviewed for the GM job one time in Milwaukee. And uh, you know, Paul Gasol says she's going to be an absolute great coach in the league. Uh, what do you think about the, that other group? Uh, which I think probably um, I wouldn't be surprised because here's the thing: Griffin hired not one but two head coaches in Cleveland that had no head coaching experience. So it's not unlike him to go out of the box and pick someone that's maybe a little bit younger with no head coaching experience. Yes, that's a great point to make because I think it's an important one for the simple fact that you're right. Griffin should, uh, could potentially go that route, and I'll be honest with you, I, I like a lot of these names that are not or have, possess that experience of head coaching in the NBA. And you, you listed my favorite right off the bat, David Vanterpool. He has built up such a reputation and he's landed on a couple of best assistant coach a couple times by GMs and surveys around the league. And what he did in Portland, I mean, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum have always referred to this guy and referenced him. And I even, when listening to Reddick's last podcast when he had Damian Lillard, he couldn't help but bring up Vanterpool and how he helped him and molded him as a player. So that's, that's, that's interesting to remember when you have a guy like Lonzo Ball who still needs mm-hmm. a lot of guidance and growth here in New Orleans. So, yeah, that jumps immediately to mind. And, look, David Vanterpool um, is known more as a defensive coach. He does slow down the pace a little bit on you, and Jerry Stackhouse especially does, but we'll get to him in a minute. But I just feel like any shortcomings with any of these coaches can often be uh, circumvented by when you fill out your rest of your coaching roster. Right? That's why Alvin Gentry brought in Justice Dillick last season. That's why Steve Kerr is known as a manager of people, and he brings in really good people below that understands their role. So I don't think anything that's lacking with any of these other coaches, whether it is just a lack of experience or them not being as knowledgeable or as consistent as you want to see with either side of the ball or some kind of facet of the game, it's not going to be a problem. So, yeah, I mean, David Vanderpool, I've already talked about, but Becky Hammond, she... There's a reason why Coach Pop has kept her on the sidelines, you know, for six years. She must be good. And I know that it would be a big step, right, to basically make her as the first woman head coach in the league. But I think it would be an exceptional one because I think she's proven herself. You have heard what a great mind she has. She was a fantastic player in the WNBA. Absolutely phenomenal player. Games. Yeah. All, yeah. If I remember, she's still the leading assist uh, leading assist 
uh, totals in the WNBA, top 15 all-time in WNBA. And she's also got worldly experience, something I think is very key. Right? She went over to Russia to play in the Olympics because she couldn't play for the United States Olympic team. She took a lot of heat for that, but it was such a positive molding experience to where it taught her a lot of things. I think that's key, and I think that's honestly why Coach Pop was drawn to her. If people don't know, Coach Pop was in the Air Force, and his major area of study was social, the Soviet Union, uh, and that area of the world at the time. So he had an instant connection with her. He discovered that she's worldly, and he liked her thought process. So it was always more about basketball, but that just goes to show you just how knowledgeable she is. And I think David Griffin, that would make a good candidate for him. And the other you know thing about David Griffin, and, and the other thing, Ollie, is, is, is this is, look, he's already got former WNBA stars in the mix, mm-hmm. right? He's got Swin Cash. He's got Teaspoon, uh, Teresa Weatherspoon, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. So he's already got great former players as part of what they're doing in New Orleans. And here's the other thing, and I've mentioned this, and I've gotten pushback from, from people. They're like, well, you know, a, a woman, you know, and, you know, they're all hung up on that. And I say, look, first of all, these guys interact with women every single day in the media where the women are in the locker room and they're interviewing them. I mean, the last time I saw it was at a Pelicans game. It was for the Miami Heat game there at home in the Smoothie King Center, and there was women in the locker room, and the, the guys didn't miss a beat. Okay, so the, this whole notion that that's a, that's a hang-up and that's – look, look th- th- this is 2020. It's, it's time to get real about that. And the other thing is this. The WNBA may not get the respect it deserves by the random sports fan or the normal basketball fan, okay? But I'm going to tell you something, and Ollie, you know this already. Those guys that play the game, those guys that are playing in the NBA right now, they have the utmost respect for their counterparts in the WNBA. They support the WNBA, and they support women's basketball, and they respect it more than the majority of sports fans do. So that's the other thing about this. If the Pels do go in that direction, there's not going to be any pushback there, Ollie, because people don't understand the mindset of the modern NBA player and how much respect they have for the women's game. Right. People do need to understand that that do not yet. Look, Coach Pop said it best. Becky Hammond is a great basketball mind who happens to also be a woman, Right. He, he has never made it about her made, trying to make this a media when he hired her at the time six years ago of being some kind of splashy, you know, political maneuver, he, he, anything like that. He, no, no, no. If anybody knows Pop, and I think I hope everybody that's a basketball fan does, Coach Pop doesn't do anything with the intention of other than being the best, winning basketball games, etc., employing the brightest mind. So, no, I, th- I think that's, that's a valid point you bring up. And it's very important to bring up, of course, that the Pelicans do employ a couple of former WN players, some great Hall of Famers. And, look, I've been in some practice where I've seen Teresa Witherspoon. The way she was motivating Kenrich Williams in training camp and others, she was the loudest voice. Oh, Teaspoon does not play, Ollie. She does not play. (laughs) She does not. And, you know what, these players, you can tell by the instant respect they had for her because of how much effort they put forth, you know. So if they didn't believe in a woman coach, I wouldn't have seen that. So, no, that, 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 that's, I hope people understand that. We are no longer in some kind of archaic world where there are still kind of some kind of sexist boundaries. It doesn't exist, especially when you get behind the scenes between the players and all the male coaches. And, you know, I'll, I'll throw out one last name. Nancy Lieberman, she was an assistant. She, she was a great WNBA player, but she was hired by the Sacramento Kings. And I've had the privilege of talking to her several times. 
And even some of the best, most admired minds in the NBA, like Rajon Rondo, have the utmost respect for it. it. Says you everything you need to know. So basically, don't look at whether a person is a man or a female. If they can do the job, they can do the job. Ali, let's talk about this. Is Griff kind of hinted at it at his press conference over the weekend that he's not going to he's not going to rush this, right? He's going to take his time and people automatically said oh that means he's gonna he 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 wants to hire one of the assistants that is on one of those playoff teams Mm -hmm. and i go no i says you you obviously don't pay attention to what griff does when when he says this he's taking his time because he knows how important this hire is not only for his term as vice president of basketball operations but how the pelicans are going to be for the next five to ten years he has to get this coaching hire right just how important is this impending hire for the pelicans Oh, I think it's everything, and, and you're right, David Griffin even mentioned that on his media call. This is going to be his most important decision uh, during his tenure, or at least one of them. And most GMs only get to hire one coach, so you have to get it right. I don't expect David Griffin to mess it up or basically get penalized and suddenly he'll get thrown out if something doesn't work out. But that is honestly, though, the way you have to look at it. And for those people that want to rush into any move, understand a couple of things. Number one, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So there's a lot of people are now Zooming, doing everything, basically not face-to-face. Well, David Griffin wants these face-to-face meetings, not only for himself, but the rest of his cast, uh, staff who have to meet all these candidates. So that's going to take some time to coordinate. And so it's not just the fact that some of them are still inside the bubble playing, but it, it's just honestly in today's world, how do you get somebody safely to New Orleans? Make sure that everybody feels comfortable observing, you know, whatever fears they may be having, whether it is stemming from the coronavirus, the pandemic that's still going on. Maybe it could be some kind of social justice type of issues that, you know, might be in the back of people's minds that they can't do something right now. So it's going to take time just because of the world we live in. But here's the other thing. David Griffin is known not to rush things, and that's a great thing to do, right? You want to make sure you nail the hire, and all you've got to do is look at how Griffin filled out the rest of his front office. He was brought on in April. He didn't hire Trajan Langdon until the month after, and then Swing Cash was brought in the month after that. And we didn't even see somebody that is as important as Raymond Sessions not brought in until the following October. So you can tell just from his previous hiring practices here in New Orleans, he's going to take his due diligence. And when you look at all these candidates and such great names up and down this list, it's going to take some time to comb through them all. You've got to be able to get a good read on these people and figure out who's going to be the best for this roster of making Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, the two cornerstones, who are both forwards, shine. How, how are you going to build an offense, a defense around them? And so, that, like I said, there, there are so many questions to be answered. And, of course, let's not forget, David Griffin still doesn't know when the next season's going to start. There's no dates really on much. He, he even said don't have December 1 circle. He thinks that's just a placeholder for the NBA's next uh, season starting date. They don't know salary cap numbers, which of course are going to affect rosters. So, like I said, I don't have a lot of knowledge or information right now to make an informed decision. So, yeah, I'm expecting you know David Griffin probably not is not going to announce him by for at least a month. It won't happen until sometime until September at the earliest. We're talking with Ali Cassell, Bird Rights editor. He joins us here on the Rap Game Podcast. All right, brother. They know we know they're going to take their time hiring the new coach, but let's talk about some of the off-season um, moves that they're going to have to make with this team, with this roster. You hinted at it 
right at the beginning of this podcast. So let's start there. Uh, kind of go rapid fire here a little bit. Derek Favors is he is he coming or going? I think if they can resign him at a good price, basically where they're almost lowballing him in his mind, then he'll come back because it's going to be hard to find a replacement uh, considering the salary cap. Right? They're going to ha- they have a couple of holes, and so they thought that they they would be able to keep Derek Favors and could go after other holes, but that. He proved so detrimental. You can't offer him the kind of the money he's probably looking for, like eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve million per year. So, if it's that that ballpark he's sitting at, then he'll be gone. So they will go in another direction. But if they can get him for lower, for basically what his value is, right? As a play, as a, as a value as a player, it is significantly dropped. He does not have the same mobility. He cannot be relied upon for thirty plus minutes on a good team over an eighty-two game schedule. Let's talk about. Another guy that's going to be an unrestricted free agent, Joel Okafor, he saw his playing time basically disappear. Is that someone that they're going to try to bring back, or his his days with the Pelicans numbered? Great dude. I love him. He's probably my favorite person I've ever talked to in the NBA. He's that genuine and nice, but he's gone. He just does not fit. If the Pelicans decide to keep somewhat the style of this quick pace, trying to basically not pound the ball inside the post ever, and you've got Zion, so you've got to think, well, that's enough times that Paul's going to get dropped in anyways. Now, we, we, there's a reason why we didn't see Julio Okafor not playing until basically the Pelicans were eliminated from playoff contention in the bubble, and it's because he does not fit the plans at all. You mentioned him earlier. Let's talk about a pair of restricted free agents, Frank Jackson and Kendrick Williams. We know Frank's going to be part of their plan moving forward. They like him. They think they can continue developing him. Williams, though, even though Teaspoon worked with him, he really wasn't that much of a factor. Uh, what do you think is going to happen there with Jackson and Williams? Well, Frank Jackson, provided no team comes in that really likes him and steals him away with a big uh, sum of money, then I think he will be back, right? Somewhere for the minimum or, or, or around maybe two, three, tops $4 million a year. I don't think the Pelicans would feel comfortable giving him any more than that because he still does have holes and weaknesses. But he did play better. And there's a thing that's said for continuity and the fact that he fits well in that locker room. He's well-liked. So I can see why Griffin would want to bring him back. As far as Kenrich, everybody loves him. Everybody talks about how much they like him as a person and the, you know, the inspiration he plays with. The, the diving after loose balls, all that effort he exudes on the court. Unfortunately, it doesn't translate into the Pelicans keeping him because he, he's too one-dimensional. He honestly doesn't bring enough on offense for them to justify bringing him back, even at a minimum salary. So I expect them to move on. You know, he's worse than Bruce Bowen out there. He won't even shoot the open threes, and when he does have them, he doesn't make them. So, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it's unfortunate, and I hate to say it because I like this guy too. But look, the, the NBA is so competitive; you don't have time to wait on this guy to develop. Because maybe it does click for him sometime. But he's been here two years, and he hasn't shown it. So it's time to move on. What about Etwan Moore? Great vet. I don't think he'll, they'll bring him back. We saw with his opportunity dwindle here under Alvin Gentry where his kind of hierarchy is on this roster, especially among the players that will be back. So I think he's gone. He's going to go to some veteran team that needs a guy like him off the bench for shooting. The Lakers trio, um, you know, you guys have been reporting for a long time that, that there won't be an extension or Lonzo Ball won't accept the extension this year. But what about Josh Hart? Is that someone that they're going to offer an extension to, and would he gladly accept it? I hope they offer him one. I know that if they try with Lonzo, the two sides would be so far apart. Look, it's not even worth talking about, right? So Lonzo's going to be kind of playing like a prove-it 
type of season, kind of like Brandon Ingram just did. Okay. But for Josh Hart, you're right. He has shown his value, and he's incredible. And I know David Griffin didn't want to trade him a summer ago before he ever saw him play a minute in a Pelicans uniform when other teams had come calling. So with what he showed, and he's the perfect type of guy you want to put next to, uh, like I said, ball-dominant scores that they already have. He fills in a need both on the glass when you, you consider – Basically, when you consider all the team's weaknesses, he, he fills those holes nicely alongside an Ingram, Lonzo, Zion-led team. So I expect he will fully be chased after by Griff. Now, whether he signs extension or not is another matter, but it all depends on the numbers they throw at him. I think if they were to offer him, say, something in the three-year to $36 million range, roughly around 12 years, he will give it a hard thought and, and a good listen on possibly signing now instead of waiting for next summer. Because you don't know what the scene's going to look like next summer. Might as well get your money now before whatever happens, happens down the road. Brandon Ingram, that's going to be a done deal, right? They're going to offer him a, a, yeah. a max extension and lock him up because they love him and Zion. It's not worth talking about, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, so draft lottery is going to be Thursday, Ollie. Um, you know, the, the Pels are probably going to be anywhere between 10 to 12, it, it looks like, is what, what they're going to end up with. Is this going to be a pick with everything that's happened with the NBA, with the fact that there was no combine in, in Chicago, the fact that, you know, so many players went back to college? Is, is this still going to be a, high, a highly valuable pick for the Pels and someone that they could count on to be a contributor right away? Or are we looking at more like a Jackson Hayes developmental player that they could take there where they're going to end up possibly there in the lottery? I'm not sure he – to answer your first question, no, this is a weak draft. So it, it's not going to be somebody that's going to jump right into the, the rotation, the lineups, and give you 20 minutes of at least average play to where he's not really hurting you with mistakes, et cetera. No, this is going to be a little bit of a developmental process with whoever they bring in uh, at 12 or 13. That's going to be decided by a coin flip here soon before you know Thursday's uh, mock lottery draft actually getting announced. But – there are some names that are tempting out there, and the Pelicans could take a swing, on, and especially for a guy that's got size on the wing that can shoot for three. I think that's what you have to chase. And so you've got a guy like Devin Vassell, who I like out of Florida State, mm. sophomore, six foot five. I think he would be a great pick. Or you could look at somebody that's got a little more athleticism, but has a little bit more to prove, like you know Derek Bay. I, I really like him. Some people have talked about maybe you know go swing at like a Halliburton, another combo guard, but. Now, I want to see somebody that's a good size for a four that can defend at the three, four, and there's some good candidates out there. Ollie, we'll wrap it up with this, brother. You know, with the minutes restriction on Zion and his injury, it kind of put you know, a roller coaster uh, rookie season for him. But he's the centerpiece, and he's the face of the franchise. And they're going to re-sign Brandon Ingram, and they're going to bring back some of these other pieces. And they're building for the future, and they're going to get a new head coach. How optimistic, though, are you, honestly, about what the Pels can do with Zion and Griff at the helm moving forward? Uh, you know, with, with Zion, I just want to see him get through an offseason to where he actually does is able to dedicate his body, um, time, effort, not only in his game, but like I said, his body, the conditioning, getting his habits right. Because it looked like we were there, right? We saw that picture well before the team went to Orlando. And suddenly we see somebody that does not look like that version. So what happened? How can we make sure that does not happen again? So that's going to be the biggest key. I, I think that David Griffin has, has got a talent that, unlike any other, 
in the league who is, is screaming superstar, but can he be on the court long enough, consistently enough, to where, where he'll be able to make that difference that the Pelicans need him to? Because let's face it, when the Pelicans didn't, when they failed in the bubble, a lot of that has to be attributed to the fact that Zion just wasn't Zion. Um, even though some of the points were there, some of the movement was there, they are really relying on this kid heavily enough. So I know that they've got other good players, Ingram, Drew Holiday, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is he is the face, and even the players, they, they sense it. They can see it. He, he is one of the biggest locker room voices already, even though he's only 20. So Zion is everything to this team, and how David Griffin handles him is going to be the biggest key. I mean, how much can you put pressure on this kid to prepare himself and his body because so much is riding on him, right? But you don't want to push him too far to where suddenly, you know, he's going to be looking at other markets, especially if a team doesn't win as consistently as, as, you know, everybody hopes to, kind of like in Anthony Davis's case. So it's going to be an interesting high-wire act for David Griffin, who despite, you know, his standing in the league and, and all the confidence that I think Zion has in him, he still has to prove it. So it's still going to be a relationship and a work in progress for both parties. Ali, let me ask you about Drew Holiday. Yeah, it, There are times this past season where he felt like he wasn't a good fit with this team and with this core that they're trying to have together. He, he's not the alpha dog, so to speak. He, he He's a quiet leader, right? He goes in and he, he shows it with his play and how he is on and off the, fee, uh, off the court. Rather, They kind of need an alpha dog in there. They need that guy that's going to be loud. I feel like we're going to have Drew Holiday on this roster to start the season. But do you think Drew is going to be on this roster all of next season, or do you think he could possibly be traded away? I think there's a real good chance he'll get traded away. I know that Pelicans didn't have much time seeing the entire starting five and, and seeing especially Drew with how he interacts with Ingram and Zion enough. But I, or I should say to the point that they had hoped, but I think they did see enough. I think that we saw a guy who honestly – He's a great, great person off the court. We've seen what he's done with his money. You know, his remainder of the salary, $5.4 million is going to go to nonprofits. We see what he does defensively. That quiet leadership is a real thing. But I feel like he's not the right fit. He, his timeline also doesn't fit. Let's face it, if the Pelicans aren't going to be instant winners, um, like they showed basically this past season that they couldn't be relied upon, despite the veteran presence to get into the playoffs, then you've got to think long and hard about moving him. You know, at his price, he's currently making $26 million or so a year, and he's going to be due for a new contract soon. Do you want to throw that type of money or something similar at him when you're already basically going to have Ingram, Williams, and other team, or other guys you have to pay? And let's face it, Drew is not a top one or two option, I feel like, on a good team. He's a great number three because you cannot rely on the scoring, and that's the unfortunate thing. Season started with the Pelicans needing him to shine, to come through in the clutch. He was not able to. And I found something interesting. When the, since December 18th on, when, when the team played really well, in all the wins, the players hit a certain point. The, ones that, the one that suffered the biggest drop-off in the losses was not one of the young guys like you might expect. No, it was Drew Hodder, whose points fell by about seven or eight. Efficiency, his efficiency, shooting, and in turnovers crashed. So you kind of saw the, you know, the Hyde and Jekyll performances that we've come to expect from him this whole tenure here in New Orleans. So I feel like that's just not going to work anymore for for these Pelicans anyways because they, they need somebody if they're going to soak up that much money and price and just the presence. You need to be able to rely on him more. And so, yeah, he does an incredible job defensively. You need these two-way guys. 
you, we've seen enough to where I feel like his impact just doesn't justify the cost for this roster moving forward. And it pains me to say, Raymond, I have loved him and I will continue to love him. I think it is time for them to move on from him. Ollie, unfortunately, it's time for us to move on from our conversation here on the Rap Game Podcast, brother. But it has been amazing. You delivered the goods. You're one of the best guys in the business uh, by far. And I appreciate you making the time out here talking all things Pelicans with us today, brother. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that warm, those warm words, Raymond. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just hope that, uh, you know, there's more things to aspire to. I hope everybody can think back just to one year ago to when the excitement was there and and all that. And I still think you have to keep that, right? You have to keep that same energy despite how this season ended because the Pelicans have the best young core under the age of 25. Always remember that because that's important. Talent wins in this league. Well said, brother. Well said, man. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Absolutely. Take care, Raymond. Thank you. That's Ali Cassell, editor of The Bird Rights, one of the best guys to talk Pelicans with by far, not only here in the state of Louisiana, but nationwide. Appreciate Ollie making the time here on the Rap Game Podcast. That's going to do it for this episode. If you want to check out any of our podcasts, just go to 1037thegame.com. Go to the on-demand section. You can check all of the previous episodes of the Rap Game Podcast as well. But until next time, y'all be safe out there. Be kind to one another. I'm out.